good morning. Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church. Glad you're here this morning as we prepare to hear God's word. Um, we're continuing this morning our sermon series in the Psalms entitled Worship in Technicolor. And uh, if you're new to us this morning, this is a, a sermon series where we're looking at what it looks like to worship God in all of life. And the Psalms in particular seem to have uh, quite the emphasis on worshiping God in the difficult times of life, in the sorrowful times, in the low times. You may have noticed that uh, over the last several months of this series. And this morning, we're going to be studying from Psalm 42 and 43, and we're going to be looking at what it means to hope in God when our circumstances seem hopeless. What does it mean to hope in God when our circumstances seem hopeless from Psalm 42 and 43? And, uh, you know, many of you know my wife and I, Melinda, we've been over the past few years getting into uh, running and fitness. And, um, you know, we've been running some races. And uh, people who aren't runners may not realize that the, the physical training for a race uh, is only part of the battle. Uh, actually, a large part of training for a race is the mental challenge that you have to overcome. Uh, so as you train, uh, there's a point, uh, especially when you have a long run or a long race, uh, that's called hitting the wall. It's a, it's a point in your race where you're really not quite sure if you're going to be able to make it back, right? You're, you're pain, you get pain in your, your hips and your legs and your feet. Uh, you know, everything hurts. You're questioning uh, your sanity. Uh, why did I do this? What's wrong with me? Do I need to go see a doctor? Uh, you know, all of these things. And you're really not sure, am I going to make it back? And if I do, will I still be sane? And, uh, and this point of hitting the wall, it's, it's a challenge that we all have to cope with when we're running races. And everybody has their own way to deal with and get over these hurdles. Uh, Melinda recently ran uh, the Miami Half Marathon. And one of the things that she does is she prepares a playlist of music that she listens to. Right? So she took over my Spotify account, uh, filled it up with all her favorite songs. So now I get suggestions about Hamilton and you know, musicals and stuff. Thanks for messing up my you know, uh, Spotify suggestions. But she puts on all her favorite songs, and these are songs that, as she's running, they motivate her. They keep her focused on the goal. They keep her focused on what she's doing, why she's doing it, and uh, help her to, to forget about the pain and focus on the goal that she's pressing forward and, and get through and stay the course when she hits that wall in the race. And this morning, as we study Psalm 42 and 43, we find David uh, listening to and singing to himself his race day playlist. Right? So uh, David, in this psalm, he's fighting to hope in God, even though his circumstances are hopeless. He's, he's experiencing, we find out in the psalm, a loss, isolation, injustice. He's far from home. We read that he's, he's uh, regretting and, and, and thinking about the fact that he no longer has access to the temple and corporate worship. He's, he feels isolated, distant from God. He's experiencing injustice from those around him. He's got these, uh, they're described as lying men, these, these lying unjust men that are opposing David. And, and he's fighting for hope in the midst of these seemingly hopeless circumstances. And as David is, is examining these circumstances, he's looking back on the past and the present. And he feels this sense of, of despair. It says his soul is cast down. And he looks forward to the future. He, he describes his heart as being in turmoil. There's this anxiety and fear about the future and what's coming. And he's fighting these feelings of anxiety and, and, and despair to hope in a living God. And perhaps you're here this morning, you can identify with David's experience of looking at the past 
and feeling some despair, some, some lack of hope, or looking towards the future and feeling that anxiety. I, the word this morning about fear, I really felt like that was significant from God. There is a, a sense of looking at the future and there's, there's anxiety and fear about what's coming. Well, if that's you this morning, we're going we're gonna to tune in today to David's song of hope. We're going to put on our headphones and tune in and sing this song to hope in God. We're going to look for God's hope in the midst of our hopeless circumstances together as we hold on to his promises. So if you would, take out your Bible now. If you've got your phone, you can pull it out and turn with me to Psalm 42. We're going to be reading Psalm 42 through to Psalm 43 together. So hear the word of the Lord, Psalm 42 and 43. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I will go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God. And defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Lord, we come to you this morning and we cry out for hope this morning, Lord. When our circumstances seem hopeless, when our circumstances are unclear and it seems that your hand is nowhere in them, we cry out this morning to hope in you, Father, would you, would you open our hearts to hear your hope this morning? Would you open cold hearts that have grown cold towards you, that have, are filled with fear and anxiety? Would you give us your peace and your hope this morning as we look to your promises? God, these are your words, Lord. I believe that you are here this morning. You are moving among us. And I pray that you would open hearts to hear your word and to be encouraged and filled with hope as we consider your promises today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've ever uh, been to a race or a sports game, uh, there is a song that you've probably heard at some point blasting over the loudspeakers. Um, it's an ancient song, very, very old, one long before my time. Uh, it goes something like this. 
We are the champions, my friends. Dun, dun, dun. I don't know, written by like some queen somewhere in Europe at some point. <laughs> the point is, this song is, is very popular. It's popular at sporting events for a reason. It's got this chorus, this chorus that is memorable and powerful. And it moves your emotions, it lifts you, and it fills you with this, this sense of, of pride and hope. We're the champions. We're going to crush everybody. Uh, and, and this song has this chorus that moves us, right? Well, this morning, these two chapters, most scholars would agree that they are actually one song written by David. And this, these two chapters are broken up into three sections. At the end of each section of this song, there is this moving, memorable chorus. You'll find it in your, in your Bibles at verse uh, 5 of chapter 42, again in verse 11 of chapter 42, and then at the very end of verse 5 of chapter 43. And here's the chorus. You're probably familiar with this. It says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And in this chorus, David is singing to his soul. He's not schizophrenic, right? He's, he's reminding himself, he's singing back to himself this chorus, and he's doing battle with that, with that despair as he looks at the past and that anxiety as he looks forward to the future, and he's fighting to hope in God. You see, this fight to hope in God, it's not just about uh, being okay with everything that's going on around you. It's not simply, uh, you know, having this tranquility that nothing bothers me. It's a, this is a fight for confidence that God has in the past and in the present and will in the future keep his promises. Hoping in God is a fight to believe that God has in the past and will in the future keep his promises. And it's fighting for that hope, fighting for that confidence when the joints ache, when, when you do hit the wall, when you're tired and everything around you seems hopeless. Fighting to believe that God is good on his promises. God will make good and has made good on his promises. And there are three promises this morning in particular that we're going to look at in these three sections of David's song. And those promises that David is fighting to believe is the promise of God's presence, his providence, and his pursuit. The promise of God's presence, his providence, and his pursuit. We're going to begin this morning by looking at the promise of God's presence. And this promise, uh, we know that it's a very important promise in God's word uh, because, well, for one thing, it's the first place that the enemy seems to attack when we face challenges and troubles in our lives. Um, I know for me, uh, when I am uh, struggling with a downcast soul or a heart that's in turmoil, usually the first thing that I start to question is whether God is really with me. Is there really a living God that's near to me and understands me in this moment? And that's certainly true here for David in this psalm. We see twice in this psalm, David's enemies begin to question one thing in particular. What is it? In verse 3, they say, where is your God? Again in verse 10, David, where is your God? Where is he right now? You're far away from home. You're, you're on this Mount Mazar. You're, Jerusalem is far away from you. Where's God? Is he with you right now in these circumstances? Does he know where you are? Is he really a living God who's near to you? And David himself in this psalm twice, he calls out to God and he says, God, why have you forgotten me in verse 9? And then in verse 2 of Psalm 43, he says, why have you rejected me? David is experiencing 
this, this anxiety about God's presence. There's an enemy coming against him and trying to convince him that God is not with him. And the question for us this morning, the question for David this morning is, has God and will God be good, make good on his promise of his presence? Has God and will God make good on his promise of his presence? And so David, while he's fighting to trust that God is and will be good with his promise, that God will be and is with him, David is also honest with God about his experience. He's honest with him about his experience, and that's why we see, he says, why have you forgotten me? Why have you rejected me? But he continues to fight. So in verse 9, he doesn't just say, God, why have you forgotten me? He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? In verse, 20, in verse 2, he says, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? See, David is being honest with God about his feeling of distance, about his, his fears that God is not with him, while continuing to fight for confidence in God's presence. And so he says, God, I know that you're my rock. Why do I feel so forgotten? I know that you are with me. I know that you are a living God. I know that you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why do I feel like you've rejected me? Why do these circumstances seem so hopeless when I know that you are a God of hope? See, church, these honest tear-filled prayers to God, when we come to him honestly, when we come to him with, with real uh, emotional prayers, those prayers themselves are actually an evidence of God's intimacy with us. As we fight to believe that God is near, it actually points to a heart that has hope that God actually is near. Uh, we were meeting uh, just this past week with some good friends of ours and um, we had a time we were just sharing, and uh, we were taking turns kind of talking about our lives, and they were sharing some real struggles and some challenges and decisions that they had ahead of us. And there was a point where, you know, all four of us uh, were in tears because, you know, guys do cry sometimes. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were tearing up, and there was just this, this emotional moment as we're sharing about their struggles and, and these burdens that they have. And, and um, there was a point where one of them turned to us and said, hey, I'm so sorry to be burdening you with these things. You know, my first thought in that moment was, burdening me? This is the privilege of intimacy. Intimacy is being able to be honest with each other, being able to share in, in those moments of brokenness, in those moments of confusion, in those moments where I don't have it all together. To be able to share with you honestly, it communicates a trust and an intimacy. And so it is with God in our moments where we don't really understand. We can't see how this all fits together, but we come to God with, with that honest, tear-filled, with, with snotty, uh, ugly cries. And we say, God, I don't get it. What's going on here? Why do I feel this way? That we are communicating and fighting for the very intimacy that we long for. Those are the moments where we build the intimacy with God, where we cultivate that hope that we long for. We cultivate that, that thirst for God as an intimate, living God. So it is in Psalm 42, in this first section, David says that his soul pants for God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In this psalm, in this chorus, in these sections of the psalm, David is doing just that. He is, he is calling out to God in his darkness, calling out to God in his sadness, in his confusion, when everything's not all put in a row. And saying, God, I don't understand, but I need you. I need your intimacy. I'm calling out to you, my living God. Not just any God. My living, intimate God. And so it is that we approach God as his people, as those that he loves, as friends, not enemies. 
in that intimacy, just like our friends are able to share with tears in their eyes, with confusion on their hearts. It's not a burden to me. It's, a, it's, a, it's an evidence of our friendship. And so it is with God that we can cry out in those moments and know that God hears us and he cares about us. And so we hold on in, in, our, in the times that seem hopeless. We hold on to the promise of God's presence. And we turn again to this chorus that with David, and we put on our headphones and we sing, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Why? For I shall again praise him. My salvation in my God. There is a hope that I will see my living God. He is a living God. And as I cry out to him, I will see him. He is near to me and he will show himself to me. And so we cry out and we press on with hope. And the living God and the promise of his presence. We also fight for hope. Not only with the promise of his presence, but the promise of God's providence. God's providence. And providence is not a word uh, that we use frequently. Um, I don't often uh, use that word in my everyday language with my family. But providence is an important word in scripture. Providence points to God as the God who controls everything. The God whose plan covers every event in human history. God's providence means that his hand is over all the circumstances that surround your life. And his power covers everything. And so David, in this psalm, can point to the very circumstances around him that seem hopeless. And he can say that, God, these are under your providence. These circumstances that are coming against me are under your plan and your power. Take a look at verse 7. David says, deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. You know, when I read about deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, uh, you know, I kind of think of like these two big oak trees with like a a hammock between them. And there's this beautiful waterfall and, you know, the roar of the waterfalls kind of lulls me to sleep as I'm relaxing, reading a book. And, you know, uh, no kids are screaming at me. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think of this comfortable, relaxing scene. Um, that's not quite what David's referring to here. Um, this, this word that, that is translated here, waterfalls, could also mean water spouts. It refers to uh, these, uh, like, water tornadoes, kind of like the one that we heard was in uh, Coral Gables this morning. These, these, you've probably seen these when you drive up uh, from the Keys. There are these, these cyclones that are out on the water of water uh, that in, in those times would suck boats and people down under the water and crush them and drown them. Uh, not exactly a relaxing thought, uh, but the idea here is that these, these waterfalls, these water spouts, these breakers and waves that are washing over David, that make him feel hopeless and lost in the midst of the storm, are under God's control. They're under his sovereign hand of providence. But it's not just any God's control. He's saying they're under the control of a God who is steadfast in love. See, he's saying that not only are these under your control, but they are commanded by your steadfast love. And so the very next verse, in verse 8, he says, By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we we identified this same word, Lord, all caps, L-O-R-D, as the word Yahweh. This is the the personal covenant-keeping name of God. And here, this personal covenant-keeping God is commanding his steadfast love. Um, that, that phrase, steadfast love, appears frequently in the Psalms. You've probably seen it before you've been studying. And if you're 
uh, reading in the Psalms and your personal devotions, you're going to find that phrase, steadfast love, throughout the Psalms. And it's pointing to the fact that God is a God who has ordered the world for good and never changes. He's a God who's ordered the world for good and never changes. His love is steadfast. And his, his providence is absolute. And it's saying that, God, I know that you are over the wind and the waves and the breakers and the storms, the circumstances in my life that seem hopeless. God, you are over them and you are in control and they are commanded not by any whim of God, but by his steadfast love and kindness towards you. And so it is in your life. I, I don't know where everyone finds themselves this morning, what sort of circumstances feel hopeless to you today. Uh, perhaps you're in a marriage that feels hopeless. Your spouse may feel like your enemy, and you look at your marriage, you look at your life, and you say, God, I, I don't know the way out of this. I don't know where you're taking this. Why is it this way? Why are my circumstances like this? My child perhaps is in rebellion. I don't know what to do about that. Uh, you've got pain or sickness or loss in your life that, that seems out of control, out of, out of hand. It's, it's, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to the way this is going on. And God says to us this morning that God, steadfast love, has commanded the circumstances that you find yourself in this morning. That spouse that you don't understand, you don't quite understand why there's so much conflict in your marriage. God says, my hand is on him. My hand is on her. And I know what I'm doing in your marriage. I know what I'm doing with your kids. I know what I'm doing in your body and in your family. I know what's going on here. And my steadfast love is absolute and unchanging. There are many circumstances, friends, that I can't explain. Our perspective is short and shallow. And we look at our lives uh, from a very short, shallow perspective. As we're running the race, we know our hips hurt, we know our legs hurt, but it's easy to lose sight of the finish line. But, but we, we trust God at his word that his purposes are greater than simply our temporary comfort in this life. He has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose for your circumstances that is far beyond what you can see right now in the pain and suffering that you're experiencing. He is, he is building for you an intimacy with him that will last for eternity. And he is, he is working in your heart and your life right now, and, and he's building for you an inheritance that you cannot lose. And so this morning, we return to this chorus as we remind ourselves of the hope we have in God's providence. And we say, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so we hope we fight for hope in God in the midst of hopeless circumstances because we trust in the promise of God's presence and his providence. And finally, we trust as well in the promise of God's pursuit. God's pursuit. See, it's not always easy to see God's presence and his providence in our circumstances. Uh, sometimes we get in deep. We do hit the wall in the race, and, and, and all we can see is hopelessness. In the promise of God's pursuit, it's, it gives us courage to keep going, to continue to hold on to hope. It's the, it's the flare that we send up when we're at mile 42 of our ultramarathon, and we're out in the middle of the wilderness, and we don't see anyone around us, and, and we've sprained our ankle, and we're limping along, and we say, God, I know you're coming for me. I know you're coming for me. And so it is here in this psalm that David cries out to God. He says, God, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. God's light and his truth are described here by David as being a sort of search party, going out and searching for David in his wilderness. And, and this light and truth of God is leading David step by step from his isolation to intimacy 
with God. We see that here in the language being used. He says, let them bring me to your holy hill. And then a little bit closer, let them bring me to your dwelling or your tabernacle. Then a little closer, then I will go to the altar of God. And then finally, to God himself, my exceeding joy. See, David is being brought, he's been, he's been sought out, he's been pursued by God, or he has faith that he will be pursued by God, and brought from his Mount Mazar far in the distance to the very holy hill of God, to his dwelling place, to his altar, and then to the very presence and joy and intimacy with God himself. To God himself. And so David is setting his goal, he's setting his eyes on the finish line, he's looking past the temporary circumstances, he's looking to the rescue that he has in God. And friends, we have an advantage over David this morning uh, because we have a perspective that David did not have. See, David was asking God to send his light and his truth. But we know that God has sent the light and the truth, Jesus Christ, for you and for me. And in our brokenness and sin, in our lost and helpless state, God has sent the truth and the light to be born as a man, live a perfect life, die on the cross for your sins and for mine. And, and he stayed in the grave three days and then rose up from the grave and conquered death for you and for me. And God ascended into heaven, sent his spirit to empower us, and now sits in the heavens ruling and reigning in his good and sovereign, loving providence over your life and mine. And one day, that same God, that same steadfast, loving God will return for you and will return for me, and he will raise the dead, and he will finally and fully conquer death and put an end to suffering and put an end to the tears and the sorrow and the pain and the hardship and the hopelessness will all be over. And our God will be with us. And it says that we will be raised again and we will see him as he is and then we will be like him. Oh, church, that is our hope this morning. In our suffering, in our sorrow, in our hardship, when it all seems hopeless, when everything seems out of hand and it seems like God is against us, we can say, no, we can say with God, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Christ risen and returning for you and for me. And so that is our hope, church. That is ultimately and finally our hope when we can't do it anymore, when we can't press on. We say, God, I can't take one more thing. There is so much on my shoulders. I can't take one more step. I can't take one more trial. I can't take one more difficulty. God says, I've got you. I am with you. My providential hand is on your life with my sovereign love, and I am coming for you. You are not alone. You are not lost in the wilderness. I see you, and I'm coming for you. My, I have not only am going to send my light and my truth, but I have sent my light and my truth for you. And you have that as a, prev, as a, as a pledge, secure, knowing that God is coming, and that one day all of this pain will cease. And so we look forward to the end of our fight. We look forward to one day when we will fix our eyes, not on the finish line in our minds, but we'll fix our eyes on him face to face. And he has saved for us a, an inheritance and a reward, and rest, and joy, unmitigated joy in the presence of God himself. And all of these circumstances that trouble us and try us, the ones that we don't understand and the ones we do, they will end one day, and we'll be with God, and we'll look back on, on this time as but a blink of our eyes. That is a hope, church. And as we press forward and fight for hope in God, we fight with a confidence that God has made and God will make good on his promises to you and to me. On the promise of his presence. On the promise of his providence. 
anchored on the promise of his pursuit. And so we can sing to him, and we can sing to ourselves, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And if you are in Christ this morning, that is your hope, that God is with you, that his steadfast love has commanded all of your circumstances, and that he will never, ever, ever stop pursuing you in Christ and the gospel. Let's pray. And as I do, worship team, please come up. Lord, Lord, we, we come to you this morning as weak and tired people. <laughs> Even those of us who feel strong this morning, that feel like we have everything figured out, Lord, we, we know really, truly, we are not strong. <laughs> Lord, it is your strength that sustains us in this race. This is not a race that we can run alone, God. It is your Holy Spirit in our hearts that give us the strength to continue running to continue focusing our eyes on the finish line, Lord. And God, I pray that you would, you would fill your people with hope this morning. God, I pray for those of us this morning that, that are looking at the future and, and all we see is anxiety and fear. All we see are, are the trials and the troubles. We see the miles of race ahead and we can think about the pain of our legs and the pain in our lungs and, and all we can think of is the suffering that's coming. All we can think of are the more things that could go wrong in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would set our eyes on eternity. God, would you set our eyes and turn our eyes to your finished work on the cross and what that means for us, not only in this life, but in the life to come. God, would you give us your perspective on our trials? Would you give us your heart in the midst of our hopelessness? Give us hope this morning, Lord. Give us the courage to continue fighting when we want to just turn away and and roll off into self-pity. Or approach you with cynicism, Lord, would you soften our hearts and give us a hope and a courage to fight again. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.